0: I think building trust in the healthcare system is very important in this early phase. Building trust with patients and families.
1: A lot of work we did initially was on the criteria for how to actually select what what are the most important and valuable areas to, to investigate.
0: There were a lot of cases in a row for several years and they went into that topic to see how is that possible? Why did it happen? Uh, how can we prevent it from recurring? What needs to be done with the system?
1: It's going to create a new space for learning and improvement, which otherwise would not exist.
2: Welcome back to Up Next for Patient Safety, where we envision a world where medical errors, adverse events, and preventable harms are avoided, and where we examine the most promising paths to prevent these tragedies before they occur. I'm your host, Karen Feinstein, CEO and president of the Jewish Healthcare Foundation and the Pittsburgh Regional Health Initiative, which is a multi-stakeholder quality collaborative. We've been working to reduce medical error for over 20 years, mostly unsuccessfully, but we can't give up because there's too much at stake. And that is the loss of approximately 250,000 lives a year and long-term injuries for many more. It should be reassuring to know that both Norway and England have already created a government agency that functions similarly to how our proposed National Patient Safety Board would work here in the United States. Today, we're joined by two esteemed international guests who'll give us an inside look into their respective countries' efforts to improve patient safety. They provide an important roadmap for us as we move forward. So I'm looking forward myself to learning from these two powerful examples, I am delighted to welcome Dr. Carl McRae and Dr. Siri Wing. Carl McRae is the professor of organizational behavior and psychology at Nottingham University Business School. He's an applied psychologist who's focused on the improvement of safety and resilience in complex systems in healthcare and other, also transport, with a particular focus on the governance of artificial intelligence and autonomous systems. Carl, that our beautiful word status. He learns and interprets from disruptive events. He is uh, instrumental in setting up the Healthcare Safety Investigation Branch in England and has acted as a specialist advisor and expert witness to the Parliamentary Select Committee inquiries. He's also National Professional Advisor for Patient Safety at England's Care Quality Commission. So I think it sounds like the credentials will, will fit our themes here very well. Siri Wig, Dr. Wig, is center director of SHARE Center for Resilience and Healthcare in Norway, the largest research center investigating quality and safety in healthcare in her country. Her areas of interest include the perception of risk, patient safety, quality improvement and learning in a number of different industries as well as healthcare, including petroleum, we may need you, Siri, in the coming months. Um, so thank you both for coming. Let's begin with the first and most obvious question. Where in your countries did the impetus, the energy, the force for creating an organization, one national organization focused on patient safety originate? So, Carl,
1: why don't you lead on this and then Siri? Mm, sure, thank you. Well, no, it's it's great to great to, to join you. I I suppose the the, the real impetus and the, the context for this, certainly in in England, was really a, a context of, of crisis. So uh, around 2012-2013, there was a, a major public inquiry into some really significant healthcare failings at a, a major organization. Uh, Mid Staffordshire NHS Foundation Trust in in the middle of in the middle of uh, England and the public inquiry found a, a whole range of really quite troubling issues uh, uh, from the top of the health system down to to the the front lines um, and I think what was what was particularly striking was. Around the time that inquiry reported, another inquiry was launched into a separate organisation in the northwest of England, which experienced similar, very tragic problems and and uh, a number of avoidable deaths with mothers and and babies in the maternity care unit there. So, so there was there was a real focus in in the public mind of uh, and particularly uh, politically uh, a lot of awareness that there was some really significant safety problems uh, across across the the NHS so in it, that was really the context that a lot of this a lot of this started around 2012 20, 2013 um, i think that what but the, the real energy and, and the force came probably from three areas really mm-hmm. that interrelated one was patients and families uh, affected patients and families who'd experienced tragic I- events and you know the, there are sort of too, too many people to to really point out but but there are some specific campaigners who, who it's worth Mentioning some an individual called Martin Bromley, who's who's an airline pilot and um, who tragically lost lost his his wife. For Elaine in a routine operation, and he'd been campaigning for a number of years to improve safety investigation uh, across across the NHS. Likewise, um, James Titcombe, who, who who lost his his son Joshua in in the Mid Stafford, uh, sorry, in the in the Morcombe Bay ca- care failures, uh, and was a very vocal proponent for I- improving investigations uh, uh, across the system. So so you had you had some real sort of figureheads uh, amongst patient and family campaign groups who who were very acutely sensitive to the the, the, the needs to improve uh, investigation um, and a- alongside that I'd been working for well pretty much my, my whole career in in improving investigations and learning from incidents and it was very clear that what happened in the NHS in healthcare was very very different to what you see in other in other sectors um, and it was quite striking I think for for me that around the time that the mid- Staffordshire inquiry, Reported was around the time that the 787 Dreamliner was was grounded ar- around the world, and my background was initially aviation, but primarily healthcare the last the last twelve years or so. Um, so I started putting together some some articles around 2013, just highlighting the the systemic responses to to safety issues that you saw in aviation, which um, we we didn't necessarily have in in healthcare, and that led to a, a paper that I. Worked on with Charles Vincent in 2014, where we really proposed a very, a very clear uh, policy proposal around what, what was needed for a system-wide, independent, learning-focused organisation for for the NHS. Um, so it was very much written for for policymakers to try and generate a, a you know a clear proposal for a solution and and. By having networked with a number of the the patient uh, campaigners uh, or family family campaigners and, and groups, they that they were already involved with with sympathetic politicians, um, and w- one in particular happened to be the chair of a select committee, a parliamentary select committee that was responsible for overseeing co- complaints in, in the healthcare system or, or the ombudsman that that oversaw complaints, um, and. Was very interested in and taken by this proposal, uh, and and launched an inquiry into whether the, the NHS needed a body such as this, uh, essentially a, uh, an investigation body for for healthcare. So there was there was an, an alignment, I suppose, between patients and families that, that the research. Work that that myself and others had been doing for for a number of years, and uh, and a, a few sensitive or, or rather sympathetic, I suppose, politicians. And I suppose just to mention, there was a quite a, a curious stroke of coincidence. That, that, so this was Bernard Jenkin, who well now Sir Sir Bernard Jenkin, who who was the chair of the. The select committee and um, who launched this inquiry and it, he had just happened to be a shadow transport minister um around 20 years beforehand uh, in in the late 1990s when there was a major rail accident in in the uk which led to the rail accident investigation branch so he was already very familiar with these sorts of ideas um so there was there was this this uh this quite i suppose Unusual confluence of events around the crisis, the, the the campaign groups, the the research, and and the the sympathetic politicians coming together, and a long story since then as well.
2: Thank you so much, Carl. So Siri, in Norway, let's just assume that patients and their families are going to be supportive, enlightened academics, certain figureheads, particularly those who've experienced a tragic event, who supported this idea, where did it come from in Norway? And most importantly, did you have the support of politicians and hospitals, doctors and employers, some of the, the big players, were they with you early on?
0: Well, uh, our story started uh, back in uh, before 2010 and it started with uh, families who, in particular two families who lost their children and it was terrible, it was two terrible cases. And it was mostly terrible because of the follow-up afterwards and uh, the lack of follow-up and the cover-ups and everything. And they didn't settle down with this uh, follow-up. So they they just started campaigning for the similar type of, of investigation board that we have in transport. So, so they didn't think it was good enough. The regulatory uh, investigations was really not good. and. Um, and they started back then campaigning. And in Norway, we, we, they started very early on to contact politicians, uh, in particular those politicians in opposition. And they uh, were on board. And um, we had a national law committee that I was part of, that was set, set down in 2013. And this law commission was going to look at the entire system we have in Norway of handling adverse events in healthcare. So we looked into this and also part of that mandate was to establish a suggestion for a law for an independent safety investigation board. So we did that in this law commission. We worked for two years and had this law commission finalize the reports and it was sent on public hearing and nobody wanted it, the commission and uh, the board and not the public or the state organizations like the regulatory bodies and, and stuff. They didn't want it because they argue, we, we already have this system in place to investigate because in Norway, we have a regulatory body going in and invest investigating this. Uh, but these families, they had the politicians, some of the politicians on board, not all of them. And um, the majority of the politicians at that time was also against. And uh, the safety scientists like myself, I have a safety scientist background and we uh, fed the policymakers with research, uh, with information for the decision makers based on what we need to know about learning, learning processes, the repertoire that you need for different kind of investigation methods, and, and so on. So you can find that in, in these reports. So, so in the end, there was a shift in the, in the government in Norway, and uh, we got this uh, approved, the law approved by the parliament, and this organization was set up. And in the public hearing, you will find a lot of organizations that was against it. So the politicians actually approved the law uh, despite large resistance. But those who wanted it was the safety scientists. It was the patient organizations and some of the the hospitals as well. Uh, I would say the hospitals uh, where you find strong patient safety research groups they you could see how they had a different response I would say so it's, it's fascinating to 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 see the different responses in Norway at that time still there are people wanting to take it away but uh now it's kind of it's been in operation since 2019 of course the COVID situation has been challenging for such a new organization but yeah it's in place and uh, now it's uh, acknowledged as um, one important tool in the toolbox for patient safety, I would say.
2: We know this, that any new idea brings opposition. Um, There's gonna be someone who, they're not even sure what their fear is. It's just that it's the unknown and anything unknown could be worse. So could both you and Carl, give us some of the tactics you use, things you did deliberately, Um, as best you could, to win people over to the idea of a
0: national research investigative study branch on patient safety. Yeah, I can start. Uh, I would say, uh, when I think back about the tactics, I would say one of them is for a researcher like myself. I'm a a safety scientist researcher. I don't have a formal role in the Norwegian investigation branch. Uh, It's important to share all the information that we, ha- that we have from a safety science uh, perspective from the, uh, or, or the research uh, and focus on research on learning and the foundations for learning and how to bring information in the safe space, ally with the politicians. I think that was really key for the patient campaigners, but they also got the support from the safety scientists with the kind of the safety arguments based on the literature which i think is also fundamental so you need different pillars here you need the patients and the family voices you need the research voices and then you should also have the uh, of course the organizations and the hospitals and the primary care services uh, nursing homes uh, because it's all covered in norway in this in this system so and and of course work close with these in in the process i think that has been one of those tactics and for me i've been in public hearings, I've traveled to the capital to spend one minute uh, to talk to the politicians in these public hearing processes. And I think that's par- probably one of the most important things that we can do, show up, show our opinion and show our research uh, to, to give information to the policymakers. So that's my, my, my tactic. And also you can see the tactic from the patient organizations. So they, they, they use the same tactics, I would say.
2: Excellent, Carl. Talk a little bit about what tactics you used in England to get your legislation passed.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I I guess the situation in England is also interesting because our legislation still hasn't passed. It's it's currently it's currently going through Parliament at the moment. So that there was very much a. A move by—I mean—the the, the background is that the, the Department of Health and, and Social Care essentially set up the organisation very rapidly back in 2016, essentially to to get it operational, um, and is 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 now sort of backfilling the legislation to to provide the, the the legal framework that it needs to operate. But in terms of actually getting the, uh, I think engaging with—you know—a lot of people had some very legitimate concerns about uh, an organisation and uh, a function um such as this and i, I suppose we w- in england we had almost three phases where there was the the, the sort of campaigning phase which was w- w- what i alluded to to earlier where we were you know built, writing papers and working with campaigners and engaging with politicians and the, d- during that time you you know r- really you, you're talking with people who agree with you you know you you're, you're engaging with your 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 sort of like-minded fellow fellow travellers um then once the inquiry was launched the select committee inquiry that 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 really sort of opens the floodgates to to all sorts of organisations and stakeholders who, who uh, you know, are obviously invited and, and open to to submit their positions and and make their case. Um, and I think that that, is, as Siri said, that really identified a, a number of areas where there was opposition and some concerns and, and pushback. And, and similar to. As Siri describes that there were some patient campaigners and family groups um, who are, you know, focused very much on justice and accountability and, and making sure that individuals are, are held to account, and and that, that they had certain concerns around, particularly things like in terms, of sort of safe space protections to, to keep information protected within within investigations so people can't be you know prosecuted or have regulatory sanction um, for for the information they provide um, there were genuine and I think legitimate concerns around those sorts of issues g- particularly given that you know some people's experiences have just been a- appalling in terms of you know information being hidden and, and cover up in, in what's happened to their family members and, and relatives so uh, I think there's there were different uh, different approaches to how this was um you know how you can engage with with these sorts of challenges uh that for for me one of the primary important areas is is to really be very very clear about what you're proposing and what you're not proposing i I think a lot of the concerns and challenges were actually in response to to things which fell outside of what the now hsib uh, healthcare safety investigation it was actually there for the 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 concerns that um, for example the concerns that uh, clinicians perhaps wouldn't wouldn't be held to account for things that that, that had gone wrong well there's there's you know that nothing is going to stop the current regulatory or legal system from carrying on doing that you know that's that, that it was it was around being very very clear in the case that this new investigation branch is entirely separate to that sort of system and people might have Appropriate concerns that the the current regulatory system is, has gaps or, or has problems in places, um, but this investigation body is, is entirely separate to that. You know, the, the regulators can still collect what information they that they may need. You know, the, the, the police lawyers can can still go about their their process um, and. I think what helped, from my perspective, was this. Perhaps actually drawing back into to the academic literature, there's there's quite a clear distinction between two types of accountability: um, passive accountability, which is where uh, essentially holding people to account for things that have gone wrong in the past, and active accountability, which is around essentially uh, trying to generate responsibility for improving things in the future. And I, and I think in healthcare systems, certainly in in in, in England, we're, we're tilted far too much towards this passive accountability of of uh, trying to find who was to blame for something that went wrong and so there was there was very much around making a case and making it very clear that this is this is a new approach. It's a system which um, isn't going to impinge on or prevent, you know, the current, the current regulatory or other, other activities, um, but is going to create a new space for, for, for learning and improvement, which otherwise would not exist. So I, I think there's, there was something very much around making, you know, making that, clarifying that argument. And as Siri said, you know, really engaging, engaging with people. Once the inquiry had recommended this body be established that the department of health then uh set up a a committee to to advise on how it what it should look like and we ran a, a whole range of engagement events and workshops uh, to, with you know with people who had very very serious concerns about, about this um this organization and withhold you know what was seen as withholding information and hiding information within investigations so so there was there was a lot of very i, I think sensitive and careful engagement and acknowledgement that you know the the system as it stands does does have gaps but this this is a this is a new approach and uh, so so i think there's there's something a bit about being very clear about what is being offered and what is not
2: it's so interesting listening to both of you the crisis is recognized in our country like the media have done everything they can you know the numbers are out there the the Large numbers of people who die every year are disabled or disfigured from medical error. And then the individual cases, the really poignant stories of families who've lost loved ones needlessly. And so an interesting question. We're getting ready for a panel. We're going to have an Academy Health coming up. And one of our questions to each other was: what holds us back? We now have a pandemic, and people are well aware we have more errors than ever. And what holds us back? This this has not been a hidden problem here. And listening to you, we have an expression in the United States, they say it's like herding squirrels. And, And I love that, Carl. There's not only passive and active accountability, there's passive and active support, there's passive and active opposition. And one of our problems is a lot of our support often becomes passive. You know, the same people, who will call me and they've had a terrible tragedy, a medical error. But but then it's like we're turning it over to you now. You know, we're not gonna be doing anything. And you know, that it's sad that often here the groups that basically support reform don't support the same reform. So that may be your solution, but it's not my solution. So listening to you, I mean we're not alone in that, but somehow we give you both credit, both of your countries, but I know you both took leadership. Somehow you herded the squirrels and got enough of the supporters to be active um, and maybe the opposition to be passive enough that that you move forward. So thank you. So a wonderful thing would happen, for instance, we would ever get our legislation passed. There would ever be an NPSB. The challenge isn't over the day that an entity is created. I know we've had some great discussions with both of you. Talk about the challenges that begin once an entity is established. And Asiri, do you want to go first on this
0: one? Yeah, I can do that. Uh, Carl, he has been working more into the organization more than I have uh, in in Norway. I've I've not been part of establishing the organization but I've been part of kind of setting the scene around the organization. And I've been, they are located in, in Stavanger, where my university is, because of our strong patient safety group here, partly. So, so this is setting up a new organization. In Norway, we are a very small country. And that is also part of uh, the picture why sometimes this is difficult, because people know each other. 5 million people and then you have regulatory bodies and you have um, independent (laughs) safety investigation board and and people work all over the place and they have part-time positions. So that's been part of this picture of setting up a new organization because they, they they shouldn't be working on all the same cases. So kind of finding their way through this and then set up the organization with the multidisciplinary competence Uh, how to select the cases they were going to get started with, um, the methods development, what was their method, and how would they involve patients? Because in Norway, we have the law established. It says very clear that you have to involve the patient and families, patient if they are alive, and uh, families. And uh, so if you don't succeed with involving patients and families, if you don't succeed with making sure that the healthcare professionals can share information in a safe space, you will not succeed in our country. Uh, so so the, the multidisciplinary setup was also a challenge because this organization is set up uh, to do 20 investigations a year. It's set up with around 20 uh, people employed. So it says, of course, we cannot take on every case. So I think that is also part of, of the challenges you face when setting up this new organization. You you are not established to to cover all of the we have around thousand of the most severe cases in Norway reported and they are also reported to this board so among these thousand twelve hundred very sad cases they have to choose and they are expected to produce twenty reports a year they are not close to it uh, yet so so I think building trust in the healthcare. System is very important in this early phase. Uh, building trust with patients and families. So, so there are a lot of challenges that needs to be solved. I think when setting this up, and of course in Norway they have now start. They have the law, and I, I think that is very important for how to then continue the work. So they were very certain that this law was kind of their law. They were going to operationalize it. They they could show to the law when they set it up. So I think that those challenges, I think there are not just one challenge, Is building new organizations from the start is very challenging anyway. And we didn't have many countries to look to. So we could look to England, we could of course look to other investigation boards, but uh, still it's, it's some uh, hard work to be done. And of course, that's why we need to evaluate these kinds of organization and if we succeed or not.
2: I was struck when we talked and you emphasized that again,
0: we have so
2: many errors and and errors in different parts of the healthcare system. And wherever we begin, it's going to disappoint some who, and and I I really resonated with that because if you lost a loved one to a certain infection or to a knife slip, or many of the many things um, that undetected sepsis we can go down a long list. You know, I can understand that there are gonna be many groups who are passionate, begin here, begin there. And there's so many places to enter. Thank you, Siri. Carl,
1: Mm. any
2: additional observations?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose, you know, Siri, mentioned or all all of those all of those issues i was involved in you know as as an advisor to the the inquiry and then on the department of health committee and and then i actually uh advised and, and ended up taking a uh, a break from my academic career to go and work in, in the healthcare investigation, uh, the HSIB, the healthcare investigator, um, during its uh, early years. So I, I was very much engaged with some of these really deep operational challenges of how to how to set up a, a new body like this. Um, a, a few things strike me and I, I guess we've, we've mentioned, you know, just the sheer volume. Unfortunately, of serious adverse events in in healthcare, and I, I suppose one thing that was is striking, actually, when when we talked about the support and opposition to the idea, actually, the, the the initial Department of Health submission to the inquiry was was somewhat lukewarm to the idea, primarily because of this issue that there are just too many incidents to investigate. It's logistically too complex how to how to think about addressing this. Um, to his credit, the Secretary of State for for Health and Social Care, Jeremy Hunt, when he appeared in front of the inquiry, was was very very supportive and and became the driving force behind creating the the agency. Um, so I, I think this this issue of what to investigate is is a, is a real challenge um, and. HSIB has been set up in such a way that it doesn't it doesn't negate or remove the the requirement for local level investigation. So any any um, family or patient that experiences uh, an adverse event, a serious event, should you know should, should being involved in an investigation locally. The, the The purpose of the the national body is is to take a view across the the system, the more systemic risks, the the, the major risks across the system. But but of course that that is, is serious, as as Siri says, you know that 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 doesn't necessarily. Um, address you know the deep disappointment perhaps of of many many patients and families who who might expect a body like this to actually engage with their case. So so, so a lot of work we did initially was on the criteria for for how to actually select what what are the most important valuable areas to in, investigate. And I, I I developed some of the the initial criteria and there are around twenty five. Sort of sort of sub indicators that we use, but broadly it was around the the the, the overall impact uh, on, on in terms of harm across across the system, the the potential for learning, um, and also the the, the degree of uh, systemic risk. You know, what, what, uh, to the, the extent to which it, it featured as a, as a risk across the system. And there's there's some some information on the HSIV website and and some some broader work that that I'm I'm still doing on on that. But I think that the the key the key is it's really really tough to actually. Focus your resources on what are the most important issues, and um, I'm not sure HSIB is. You know, it, it's still it's still early days. It's still working working its way through what that should look like. So that's, that's a really big issue. I think you know, particularly Siri said the sort of 20 investigations for for UCOM in in Norway and in. in in england it's 30 for the hsib i think in itself that arbitrary choice of a number has been a real challenge actually for the organisation uh, you know it was budgeted for initially around 2 million pounds uh, a, a year and and it I, i'm you know i was deeply involved in, in the process throughout and i'm not sure where this 30 investigations a year came from actually and it's I, to me it seems almost like that you know the, the tail wagging the dog in in that you, you're almost predetermining the scope and the scale of an investigation if you're saying you have this much money this many people and you need to produce this many investigations, and I, I, I'm not sure that that's a useful way of scoping the activity of an organisation like this. So that's one issue. Um, I think related to that as well, operationally, a big challenge is the need to be operational or to be seen to be operational. Um, I think there was there was a lot of expectation in a body like this. A lot, of, uh, both internally, you know, the the, the, in, the the people that were recruited were keen to get going, keen to get started, and. Um, you know the the investigators tend to like investigating, and they're they're oriented to action, and and um, there, there was an eagerness to sort of head out the door and and just get going. And equally politically, there's there's a sense that you have to be seen to be delivering. So I think there's there's something in terms of actually the to to my mind that there wasn't that there wasn't that space created to accept that you know this isn't this is a developmental almost experimental operation for the through its early years um and it needs to be treated as such it needs to as siri says it needs to be closely evaluated you know the methods and the processes um all of this needs to be done in public so people can be can be learning um learning alongside alongside it what works what methods work and, and those sorts of issues and i think the challenge for HSIB was to, to literally be seen as being turned on, you know, switched on in, in 2017 and operationally, you know, uh, j- just go and investigate. And, uh, and I think that there needs to be a sense that, you know, this isn't an operational organisation like British Airways or or, or United Airlines or something, this is more like NASA, where you're sort of having to learn as you go and, and do experimental developmental work. So, so I think there's something there to, perhaps in in your experience, that, that may be reflected to, to actually create that space for even, even once it's established, to, to, to be very clear that, that there's a lot of learning and a lot of experimentation to, to be done. I mean, there's, there's a, whole, a whole whole other other session I could pick up on the challenges of, of operationally getting these things going, but that's yeah, probably, probably said enough to start with.
2: Well, NASA can put an astronaut on the moon or have a little helicopter hop around Mars, and we can't get people out of outpatient surgery without getting infected. So (laughs) I, I like the analogy that NASA made it happen. Carl, you have a background in human factors engineering, autonomous systems. Both you and Siri have worked in other industries Talk to me, will your agencies, as you see it, go everywhere from studying preconditions, understanding what happens to each a medical error that suggests an error is, has great potential? Are you going all the way to solutions? Will you be offering solutions and autonomous digital solutions as well? Will they be tech enabled?
0: You're talking about the preconditions, if, if they will, Go way back in time to, to look or to, to look at the net of, of causality. That's what you mean. And Well, if they were...
2: understanding the whole chain of events from the things that might yeah. suggest that harm is going to happen all the way to the, the
0: solutions.
2: How do you prevent harm? And best yet, how do you prevent harm? Of course, before it happens.
0: Yeah, I would say this is the I would say that's what they will try to do. Uh, and they will focus on, uh, on all these cases that they choose, but they will also choose topics. I mean, uh, investigation themes, not just single cases. We just have a, a recent report that came out on invasive um, uh, surgery methods and development and, it, and there were a lot of cases in a row for several years and they went into that topic to see how is that possible? Why did it happen? Uh, how can we prevent it from recurring? What needs to be done with the system? So I think they have a, a kind of a methods repertoire or a possibility of a very wide repertoire to go into the, ca- to the cases and to topics. They can choose, for example, to go into a major change process in the hospital because we know that change processes, that's involving risk as well. And uh, maybe these organizations are not as well equipped to look into that as, for example, oil and gas business in Norway. So when I started working in oil and gas business, they talked about change and risk and the regulatory bodies went in to inspect Oil, the Norwegian national oil company at that time. Now it's called Equinor. They went in to look into that, but in the hospitals, we had a big, big merger of the, all the hospitals in the Oslo region and nothing happened from the regulatory side. So, so this UCOM can Um, go into these kind of topics themes and they will look a lot around but to come with solutions I don't think they will come with solutions because that is a risk I would say from this organization to come with with solutions they will come with recommendations and they will come with targeted recommendations to the specific levels and also they can actually look into all the stakeholders in the system including the ministry including the regulatory bodies what's their role So that's the big, big difference uh, to have a system wide perspective, independent, they can go investigate all actors, and then they can come with recommendations, but solutions, not, uh, I would not recommend them to come with solutions, because I don't think they are necessarily the right body to come with solutions, but they could come with recommendations of how to solve these problems, and then uh, the right bodies should focus on the solution that's also very much according to how the Norwegian healthcare system is set up. It's regulated with a high degree of uh, enforced self-regulation, meaning that service providers knows best the risk and therefore they should also know best how to find the solutions to handle the risk. And that's uh, kind of relevant to all levels in the system from the sharp end to the ministry end. If that was a response to your question, I hope so.
2: (laughs) Uh, and uh, Carl, do you want to make some comments
1: on this? Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. And yeah, I d- just I suppose I emphasise what, what what Siri described. Um, I think there is there is a, a distinct, an important distinction between making recommendations for for, for change uh, in response to a particular safety issue or risk, and and actually developing solutions, which as Siri indicated that that these investigation bodies generally need to stop well short of actually developing or recommending a particular solution, in part because if that solution turns out not to be particularly effective in five years' time, who's going to be able to investigate a, an issue associated with it you know that they're, they're no longer impartial if they're if they're actually contributing to the development of a solution so i, I think i think what's um the big opportunity for for these sorts of bodies is, as siri says is that they're system-wide so, so they're able to investigate as any any level in the the, the, the system and, and should think about you know how how regulations are made whether standards are appropriate how standards have been developed um whether they're how standards are implemented in in different ways from from the the, the very front line to the, the the sort of top of the hierarchy, as it were. Um, but I think the, the the opportunity is that the safety recommendations should actually take the chance to focus on actual, you know, system redesign and system reform. Uh, so it's it's not just it, it, everything from the redesign of you know the, the the standards for medication packaging or whatever whatever that that might be, through to the design of care pathways and uh, and actually. These recommendations should be, I think, an opportunity to bring together a new coalition of of organisations to think about redesigning part of their healthcare system. I think one of the one of the challenges that HSIB has faced to date has been sort of squaring this circle of investigating local, fairly localised events incidents. You know, safety incidents are always highly personal and local, and involving a a patient a team a a family and actually being able to to connect that with more systemic uh, recommendations at a a national or a or or, or a system level effectively and I think the challenge has been perhaps not to be that they haven't yet been robust I- I enough, or perhaps perhaps confident enough to to actually begin investigations which consider how the regulator is doing their work. And I, I say that as someone who now actually works a, a, a day a week at the, at the regulator. Um, but there's there's a. I think there's a a real need to to think about how how recommendations can really lead to the the, the change of the design of of how care is delivered and how how healthcare systems are organised. Um, I mean, you you have sort of almost a, a great example of this in the NTSB in in the US and their early investigations of autonomous vehicles and and highly automated vehicles, um, which they've done the, the the past few years, where a lot of the recommendations have been focused on actually what what is the what is the infrastructure that's needed to collect safety data so that we can investigate these sorts of events you know what 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 are the sort of parameters that should be collected and i i think I think in healthcare, we're almost at that point where the, 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 these recommendations should, should be about, you know, what are, what are the standard metrics of safety that, safety that should be collected in particular areas? What, you know, what should the system design actually, actually look like? So, yeah, I, I think a big focus on design and redesigning the system in its socio-technical sense, not just pieces of equipment and technology.
2: Thank you, Carl and Siri, for your enlightening conversation. This has really been helpful to us because we have so much to learn here in the United States from your efforts. You went first, and it was an honor to host you for this conversation. Thank you for joining us from England and Norway. To learn more about the effort to establish a National Patient Safety Board, please visit npsb.org. We welcome your comments and suggestions. If you found today's conversation enlightening or helpful, please share today's podcast or any of our other podcasts with your friends and colleagues. We can't improve the effectiveness of our health system without your help. You, our listeners, friends, and supporters are an essential part of the solution. If you want a transcript or the show notes with references to related articles and resources, that can be found on our website at npsb.org podcast. Up next for patient safety is a production of the National Patient Safety Board Advocacy Coalition in partnership with the Pittsburgh Regional Health Initiative and Jewish Healthcare Foundation. It is executive produced and hosted by me, Karen Wolk-Feinstein, Megan Butler, and Scotland Huber are my associate producers. This episode was edited and engineered by Jonathan Kirsting and the Pittsburgh Technology Council. Thank you, Tech Council. Our theme music is from Shutterstock.com. Social media and design are by Lisa George and Scott Huber. Special thanks to Robert Ferguson and Stephen Guo. Thank you all for listening.